Welcome to House of Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from this past Sunday. For more information about other messages or events at House of Hope, visit www.ihope.today. How many of you here remember what I talked about last week? Okay, so the six of you, seven of you, I'm going to recount. I'm going to recap. Actually, I'm going to give just a five-minute recap because there's, um, there's thousands of people watching online and throughout the week. Um, I was actually quite impressed. I looked at some analytics for what, and there's people around the world actually are tuning in and um, watching live on Sunday mornings. The, um, the greatest... I'm just going to throw this out here. The greatest analytic, the greatest number of views was uh, on a given Sunday morning was November 4th of this year. We had almost 500 um, views and that was Kathleen's message. Yeah, yeah. So the lowest, I'm just not even... And it's and it's not just live. It's it's the we post the live view like we're on live now. Um, but then over the course of the weeks and days and stuff like that, they keep adding up. And Kathleen's is actually the highest right now for the for for this last quarter. So it's neat. And then there was Dan's. Dan's is the next one. I'm not, and I'm not offended. I think it's great that there's people that I that. That's right. I am raising up great leaders. Right. They other people just don't know what they're missing. Anyway. So last week, I read some key introductory um, passages. Uh, we talked in Matthew, just as a recap, we talked, uh, I read Matthew 11, and it was the whole part where John the Baptist was offended. He was in prison, and he sent word to the, to, to the disciples and said, am I ex- to expect another, word, another one? And Jesus said this amazing thing. He said, tell John, the, the, the blind see and the deaf heal are here and the dead are raised again. And Did you all hear that? Yes. Was it? Is that a phone? Oh, sorry. I, I just like, I thought it was the angels. <laughs> I thought glory in the highest. Jesus is coming back. Anyway, um, so Matthew was when, when John was in prison. And it was the interesting thing was that when Jesus gave back the response, he was basically quoting from Isaiah. Um, the whole Isaiah, was it 61, Richard? 61, 62, um, but he didn't say, he said, you know, Isaiah 61 says the dead, you know, uh, slow down, thank you. Um, he gave, he quoted Isaiah, except I've come to set the captives free. And it was like, okay, guys, enough. All right. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, you know, it was funny because he was quoting from Isaiah and that whole thing about raising the dead, healing the sick. But he didn't say, I've come to set you free. And it was like almost a picture of John saying, in your offense, are you okay to die? Don't die in your offense. Because that if we continue on in our offense, we will die. Offense kills. And that's what he was talking about. So, and then in Matthew 13, um, Jesus was talking about uh, the offense of the word. Um, you know, when the word is sown, it was the so- parable of the sower. And as the seed goes in, it shows our offense. And, and as, so, you know, I'm not going to go into that. Offends, you know, God will offend our hearts to reveal our minds. Or offend our minds to reveal our hearts. That, that kind of thing. Shift, it, 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 the offense will shift realities. 
You know, how many of us have gotten offended and we've, we've concocted this story in our head and when we go to the person and we actually talk to the person that we're offended about, that story, that reality that is in our head is so far from the truth and then we actually have to chew on our tongue and go, oh, I guess I was wrong. Because we've built up this offense so big and, the, and they're wrong. Uh, Luke 17, we talked about how Jesus says, offense will come. You will be offended. And it's what you do with it afterwards. And we talked a little bit about the different traps and what the trap of offense is. And we talked about um, the Greek word for, for offense is um, scandalizo and, and scandalon. And it's that trigger. I showed some pictures of those traps, those trigger traps, that as soon as you touch the trigger, the trap falls. And when the trap falls, you both are actually entrenched in this trap that you may not even know you're in. Because what happens with offense is that um, when we take that bait, we're trapped by the enemy in our own unforgiveness and our own bitterness, issues of our heart, and we trap ourselves and our others in our offense. And it's like that, and sometimes we don't realize it. So when we're offended, we're actually trapping ourselves and and others. And I talked, I gave you guys an anacronym. Remember that? What was the anacronym that I gave you? Mold. Mold. You know, when we're in offense, to find out what offense is, we use the anacronym mold. And I'm not going to go into what the anacronym is because you can listen to it online. I have quite a bit I wanted to cover. But I gave some biblical examples of people that were impacted by offense. We talked about Cain. We talked about um, Joseph and his brothers. Um, The great offense in Joshua when there was this massive... Uh, you know, when the, the children of Israel were, were gathered together and they were going to war against each other because of an offense. And when they came together, they actually talked it out. And they're like, oh, is that what you're doing? Oh, okay, well, let's just go home. And, and offense, and it's a picture in offense when we talked about there was two and a half tribes against ten and a half tribes. And it wasn't just tribe versus tribe. It was actually within a tribe. And sometimes offense will come within a family and it will divide a family. And if, unless we deal with that offense within a family, we're not going to move on. And that family then is stunted and there's years of grief and years of, of unforgiveness and pain and hurt and because of offense. And it's a, it was a biblical picture of how you deal with offense saying, if we can just understand each other, we'll go on. We'll be fine and forgive each other. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Absalom, Athithophel, John the Baptist, um, the hometown folks in, in Galilee when they were offended that Jesus was there. Who is this man? Oh, is this Jesus? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this, didn't, we, didn't our kids grow up together? And Jesus was limited to do what he could because of their offense. Um, one thing we didn't talk about last week was Judas. You know, the offense Judas... The whole, the fact that he was a disciple, that he hung out with Jesus for three and a half years and he stole the money and he, and he turned Jesus over and there was, and Jesus wasn't offended, but there was offense in there that Judas was like, for whatever Judas's offense was, it was there and it affected who he was and who he became. Talked about Paul and Barnabas. We talked about a few signs of carrying offense. What, what does it look like to, to, you know, am I offended? And these are the signs that, um, that we carry. We find ourselves in one battle after another with various people. If you are constantly at odds with people, there's a good sign that you're actually living a life in offense. 
If you look back in your history and go, well, I had a relationship. I, I go from relationships to relationships to relationships, and I don't have deep relationships. It's probably a sign that somewhere in your heart you're carrying an offense. We tend to stack up offenses of people in our hearts without communicating with them. So things just get bigger and bigger. We may feel that certain people are out to hurt us if they don't um, hurt us, that they don't want to help us, that people do not deeply have our best interests at heart. And if they did, they wouldn't do the things that we think that they should. Gavin, can you throw that thing up on the... Rayanne posted this on Facebook this morning, and I thought this was amazing. An unhealed person can find offense in pretty much anything someone does. A healed person understands that the actions of others have nothing to do with them. Each day you get to decide which one you will be. It just fit totally for what would, you know, in this season, what we're going through. So do we want to be a people that are easily offended, that we're carrying lifelong offense, or actually can we choose to say, Jesus, I need to be healed from this. What offenses am I carrying? And then it starts with us. Some of the fruit of offense I talked about was feelings, feelings of offense. And those are easy. Some of them are really easy. I'm hurt. I'm angry. I'm jealous. I, I resent that person. There's strife. I have bitterness, unforgiveness, and even hatred. That's the fruit of offense of our life. And it's like and until we start to identify it, but as, um, we can't deal with it. But we've, we've almost been taught, and I think we have been taught, that we can't talk about this. We can't talk because real Christians and good Christians don't get offended. But we do, because Jesus said, you will be offended. It's how we handle that offense in the season, in the time, that actually will make or break us. Another fruit of that is a response. We, we have feelings, and then we respond. How do we respond to an offense if offense has taken root in our lives, we respond by sarcasm, we argue, we insult, we attack, we wound, we divide, we separate ourselves, we betray. There's backsliding and broken relationships as fruits, fruits of the offense. And then the consequences of that is division, broken relationships, entrapment, thwarted walk with God, and, and, a, and we walk around like spiritual vagabonds with no real roots, with no real families, because we're just looking for offense. And if, if we have not dealt with the offense in our hearts, there is no way that any one of us can become rooted in a family. That's a harsh statement, but it, it's true. We can pretend. And one of the things that gets me, uh, get myself personally, I find when I have offense, I can only hide it so long. Because who are the ones that actually pick it up the quickest? are the ones that I'm closest to, right? And it's usually your family. It's usually your wife, husband, your kids. And it's like when we're in a family, we, we have to keep short accounts. So, all right. So that's the recap. That was a good recap. So I want to look this morning, um, let's look at Luke 23. So to start off, how and how how to respond. The, the title the, the the title of this message is how to respond 
or responding to offense? How do we deal with it? How do we respond to it? And how do we deal with it in our own hearts? Um, and so the best, in, the best, the best, the very best example of this is Jesus. How did Jesus respond? How did de- Jesus deal with offense? Did Jesus ever get offended? That's an honest question. Do you think that Jesus, did Jesus ever get offended? You think so? Okay. Some, how many say yes, Jesus was offended? Okay. How many say no, that Jesus did not get offended? Okay, so I believe, I'm just going to say, I'm not saying you're right or wrong because it, it just depends on your outlook and your filters. But I believe, I believe that Jesus didn't get offended because of his identity, because of who he was and his, his, um, he knew his identity in God, in God. He knew who he was. And so offense is always rooted in our identity and our perception and our self-interests and our self-ambitions and stuff like that. And, and, and usually an offense is an attack on your personal, personal views. So just that saying, I don't believe that Jesus was. I think it came, he, he could have had, he could have been offended. But he chose not to be because of who he was. Does that make sense? Sorry, what? There was no offense there. He was teaching. He was angry, but there's, but there's a difference between anger and, and, and offense. He never, let, he never let something eat at him and, 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 and get it like, bleh. There was no bleh in Jesus' heart. In order for us to carry offense, there has to be some bleh. How's that, eh? <laughs> Use that as a sound gift. Bleh. All right, let's read this. So... Here's one of the best times that Jesus did not um, respond in any offense. Two criminals were led away with Jesus. So I'm reading from verse um, 32, Luke 23. Two criminals were led away with Jesus, and all three were to be executed together. When they came up to the place known as the skull, the guards crucified Jesus, nailing him on the center cross between two criminals. While they were nailing Jesus to the cross, he prayed over and over. This is something that was very interesting to me. It was We've often thought of this as Jesus speaks these lines, um, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. But in the original text, it's like he was praying this over and over and over and over and over. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. And it was like he was reassuring himself. He was, he was actually um, speaking to himself, I believe, a declaration that I am not going to carry offense. And why was he, at that point, why would he be offended? Because the actual act, the actual act of being crucified Side by side was a picture of a false kingdom. Satan knew that the actual kingdom that Jesus was actually supposed to be on the Father's right hand. And when you have criminals next to a king, it was an affront to what Jesus was actually starting to set up. What what his kingdom looked like. And so he had every right to be offended because... Sorry. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) 
so there was this sense of, of um, uh, a picture of a false kingdom that Jesus could have been offended by. So then he goes on, the soldiers, after they crucified him, they gambled over his clothing. A great crowd gathered to watch what was happening. The religious leaders sneered at Jesus and mocked him, saying, Look at this man, what kind of chosen Messiah is he? He pretended to save others, but he can't even save himself. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. The soldiers joined the mockery by offering Jesus a drink of sour wine or vinegar. Over Jesus' head on the cross was written an inscription in Greek, in Latin, and Aramaic. This man is the king of all Jews. Again, it was a mockery of what the kingdom was that Jesus had been proclaiming for three years. And all the soldiers laughed and scoffed at him, saying, Hey, if you're the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? So then one of the criminals hanging on the cross next to Jesus kept ridiculing him, saying, What kind of Messiah are you? Save yourself and save us from this death. And then the criminal hanging on the other cross rebuked the man, saying, Don't you fear God? You're about to die. We deserve to be condemned, for we're just being repaid for what we've done. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. And then he turned and he said to Jesus, I beg of you, my Lord Jesus, show me grace and take me with you into your everlasting kingdom. And then Jesus responded, as I promise you this very day, you will enter paradise with me. Here's an amazing picture of a lack of offense. When every, you would have, Jesus had every right to be offended because of the whole scenario, let alone being actually whipped and spat on and crucified. Just that alone would probably give any one of us a tendency to be offended. And if any one of us had an opportunity at that point to be offended, you would think, I have every right at that point to be offended. And I think that's how we get into offense, is that we look at our own rights and our own obligations and our own things that happens, and it turns into self, and we go, well, I can be offended because they did this to me. So to hear Jesus was... Proclaiming the kingdom of God, bringing people back into relationship, bringing, releasing people into right relationship with the Father. And this is his repayment. And his only response was, Father, forgive them. And today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' heart was to see people, regardless of what they did to him, into relationship with him. Does that make sense? Another example of, 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 uh, of offense that Jesus never picked up is when the disciples left him. You know, as a leader, it's, it's sometimes it's hard on a leader to have people that you are pouring into, that you're leading, that you have relationship with, and then because of offense, they just walk away. And Jesus set, set them up. You know, he, he set up at times. He's, he's like, okay, guys, we're going to have communion. Wasn't called communion then. If you're going to eat my blood or eat my body and drink my blood, if you can't do that, no part of me. Wow. Who left? Everybody except the 12. At that point, they figured Jesus probably had a gathering of several thousand people or a following of, of thousands of people. And he says, okay. Eat my body, drink my blood. Well, it just, it clashed everything. That, just that whole 
thing just clashed into what they knew to be true because it was cannibalism and it was unrighteous and it was like there was so much stuff in the law and they're like, okay, we're done. This guy's nuts. And Jesus wasn't offended, but he caused offense. And he looked, turns to the disciples and he says, are you guys not going to leave? And Peter says, where, do, where else do we have to go? Like, you're, we just know who you are and we're not going to be offended. All right. But he could have been. Jesus could have been. So Jesus chose not to defend or assert his own rights. Rather, he chose to love and to serve others. I think one of the earmarks of our current society, and it'll change. It'll probably change in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But we've entered this in the last probably 20 years. We've entered this aspect of society where it's all about me. It's all about my rights. It's all about this expectation. It's, there's another word, I always forget it. Entitlement. Yeah, it's, I'm entitled to this. And, and it, it, it's, actually, we th- it's actually pseudo-spiritual because, you know, the, the current thing is, well, you have to take care of yourself. And that's true because it's like, you know, when you're on a plane and those little oxygen masks come off. And, and the stewardess says, parents, please take the oxygen mask. In the, you know, what did they say? In the event of an emergency and the oxygen mask is deployed, please place the oxygen mask on yourself first and then help those around you. Right? When I was younger, I was like, that is the stupidest thing. Y'all want to, because I was like, hey, I want to save people. I, I would be dead afterwards. But, hey, maybe I could have gotten somebody else. So there's, there's, there is a practical balance However, our society has shifted to be ultra-self, ultra-entitled. And I'm not blaming millennials. It's, it is a millennial aspect. However, it's always been there. And where do the millennials get it from? Us. It's highlighted. It's, it's, it's magnified. And where did we get it? From our parents. Only we magnified it. And our parents were going, man, I didn't know where the Gen Xers got all the entitlement from. And all the Gen Xers are going, man, these people, they do not know how to work. They complain about everything. They're entitled. They're this, blah, blah. But they got it from us because every generation who picks up on something magnifies it. And then three generations looking forward have no idea how society changed. But what we need to do as a kingdom-cultured people is that we actually have to come back and say, Jesus, how did you handle these things? How did you handle being offended? What did you do? And so it's not self. It is not self-focused. Yes, we have to take care of ourselves. You know, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing if I was sick and broken down and... You know, so I, I try to take care of my body. I try to eat healthy. I try to, you know... But I didn't when I was younger. And so now I'm paying the fruit of that, and I'm, just, I'm battling that, right? I have to be intentional. So just like that, we have to be, as a body, to be intentional that self is not... Wow, she's loud. That's awesome. Um, we have to be intentional that we're not self-focused. That it's not about our rights. Did Jesus have a right to be crucified? Did he have a right to do the things, to suffer the things that he suffered. No, he didn't. And yet he was. And he's like, you know what? I know who I am. I know what I have to do within the kingdom. And I'm going to do that. And that's why he, um, 
he offended so many people in his lifetime because he knew, he knew who he was. 12 years old, he's teaching in the temple and his parents come in and they're like, Jesus. And they weren't swearing. What are you doing? And he's like, I'm just doing what my dad told me to do. How is it that you're so offended? But he honored them and continued on. You know, he just, he lived a life without offense. Um, so Jesus chose not to defend or assert his own rights. Let's look at Matthew 17. Matthew 17, 24, 24. <laughs> Matthew 24. Matthew 17, 24. After they arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the tax of the temple tax approached Peter and says, does your teacher pay the tax for the upkeep of the temple like the rest of us? Peter answered, of course he does. Then Peter walked out into the house and before he had a chance to speak, Jesus spoke up and said, Peter, I have a question for you. It's like anytime that Jesus starts to ask you questions, you probably have a um, reason to think. <laughs> so Peter, I have a question for you. Who pays tolls? Or taxes to a king? Is tax collected from the king's own children or from his subjects? Peter then answered, he says, well, from his subjects. So it'd be like Queen Elizabeth saying to Charles, give me some tax. It's like, no, you're a son. You don't pay taxes to your father. And it was almost like Jesus was saying... You don't have to pay taxes you do, you, because you're, you're a child of the king. He says, but he said this. When Peter said from his subjects, nobody else, he doesn't have to take it from the family. But Jesus replied, that's right. The children get off free without paying taxes. But so that we don't offend them, go to the lake and throw out your hook. And the first fish that rises up will have a coin in its mouth. And it will be the exact amount you need to pay the temple tax for both of us. So it's like Jesus set himself up, setting everybody up. It's like, no, you don't have to, but you will. He was showing that it's not about like, you, you have, we have every right to say to Trudeau, we don't have to pay taxes. Yeah. And we do it. We get thrown in jail or we get, yeah, but, it, but we do because we're actually showing that it's not about us. And we get to rejoice, actually, and say, I get to do my part in helping our great nation of Canada, even though we don't agree with a lot of it. But we're not doing it to be an offense. We will not become a stumbling block to those who look at us. I mean, it's not so bad now, but years ago, Christians were labeled as the cheapest, most tightest, um, ungenerous population group in, in a country. And that's shifting, thank God, as we understand what generosity is and what that looks like in a kingdom mindset. But we actually became, Christian people became known for their stinginess. Well, we're just being a good steward. No, that's bull. We weren't. We were being cheap. Yeah, that's another story. So Jesus was actually laying out um, to... to 
with, with this whole sense of rights and expectations. Sorry, um, a whole bunch of stuff coming against our rights. And then Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 6.3. He says, give no offense in anything that our ministry, so that our ministry may not be blamed. You know, we talk about going, oh, I'm going to offend them. I'm, I, I live for offense. And I, I've even said that. I was like, I, don't, I, I want to stir up religious, religious spirits. I want, to, I want to attack. I want to, like, I'm, I'm not a, I'm a let, let the offense begin because I want to be like Jesus. And that's okay if our hearts are right. But if we're doing it simply for the sake of offending without restoration of relationship, then there's a problem. And I have to say, in my younger years, I, was, I didn't care about relationship. I was just more about the offense. And now I'm a little bit more specific in the, the offense. I'm still not as afraid to offend if I know that it's going to actually bring relationship and bring understanding. Romans fourteen thirteen to 19 says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block, that's that scandalon or scandalizo, a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one another may edify another. You know, the big thing in the, in the church in the last 20 years is drinking versus non-drinking, alcohol, speaking specifically alcohol. I was always, you know, I'd never, you know my story, I'm not going to get into that, but, but I don't want to be a stumbling block. So if I ask somebody, do you have a problem with drinking? Yes, I do. Am I going to drink in front of them? No, I'm not. Do you have a problem with, do you mind if we, do you like a glass of wine? I would love a glass of wine. Awesome. It, it's, it, it's, it's, the, it's that honoring each other without, and that's, what the, and that's what Paul was talking about. He wasn't saying you can't do anything. He was like, be specific. And our, what our culture has done is we've thrown out this blanket that we have to be politically correct for everything, and nobody has an opinion except the one that is whoever makes that opinion. Right? It's like, and, and but... If it's, if it's rights-based, I have a right to drink alcohol. I have a right. And it's like, yeah, you do. Paul says everything is, pro- is, is, is allowed, but it's not profitable. So you have to look at your audience. You have to know your audience. You have to know your relationships. If Deanne and I married for 25 years, if early on in our, in our, in our relationship, she had a hard line against alcohol, and I... Thank God she didn't, but um, no, I'm just kidding. Then I probably would have started, we would have started our marriage with that. And I would have said, you know what? I honor you. I, because I didn't grow up in a house that drank either. So it wasn't a big deal. But we both enjoy some wine. We enjoy, you know, different things. But we've never been drunk. 1 Corinthians 8, 9 says, but be, but be, let's try that again, but beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Again, Paul's saying, know your audience, know who your relationship with. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24, all things are lawful for me, and I said this, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. 
Let no one seek his own, but each of one, sorry, but each one the other's well-being. Getting away from that self. Offense focuses on self. It really does. And there's other scriptures and stuff. We, you can read those. Um, so any response that does not edify may mean that we're not operating in God's love and in honor, but actually in offense. If somebody comes to me and says something and I go, Bleh! Ooh, there's probably offense in my life. But if, I, but if I actually honor and I edify and I actually exude the love, then actually there's, there's, that's good. And that's with anybody in any relationship. So there's an important place that we have to be in that is that we actually have to decide in our hearts. And then when we decide in our hearts, it actually comes out in the fruit of our life that we will live unoffended. Doesn't mean that we're not going to be offended. It means that we're actually going to practice and walk out of offense, not in offense. Does that make sense? Okay, they get it. Anybody else? Does that make sense? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so we have to lay down our right, our, <clears throat> excuse me, we have to lay down our need to be right. This is one, as the older I get, the more right I become. And it's driving, it, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> it drives me insane personally. I just, because it, it, I've never been like this before. Or maybe I have, and now that it's just, it's just coming out more. But I have to lay down my need to be right. I have to lay down our need to be noticed. I don't really, I, even though I'm an externally, I'm a more extrovert, I've never really fought with this one personally, my right to be noticed. If I, if I go unnoticed, I'm fine. You know, if I'm standing up in front of you and I'm doing whatever I do, I'm okay too. But I don't, it doesn't drive me. But some of us have this need to be noticed because it's, it's our identity. It's like if I can be noticed, people will like me and, and, and hey, yippee, right? And that doesn't necessarily be a bad thing. But if it's a need that drives you, it could cause offense. Our right to be honored. Our right to be loved or treated with respect. I have a right. You need, to, you need to honor me. This is a culture of honor, and so you need to honor me. Now, that's, a, that's something we may need to lay down. <clears throat> Our right to be rewar- rewarded. These are all things that Jesus actually laid down. And as an example of, of how we live a life unoffended. So how do we do? What did, out of Jesus' life, what is the main thing that he did? Sorry, I have to pause. I have to take the sweater off. I'm sweating. <laughs> you want to see a fan? This is what's going to offend somebody on my <laughs> Just kidding. <clears throat> oh, that's, that's much better. 
Deanne's like, wear a shirt that you'll be okay with. <laughs> Thought I was going to do fine, and then I was like, oh, my core is like, <laughs> warning, warning. Okay, so what is, what is one thing that Jesus did? Um, what is the one thing that Jesus did to live a life unoffended? Does anybody can just, as one word. You're all chicken to throw it out because it's one word and I could get it wrong. Forgive, forgive. He forgave. He forgave. He just forgave. Forgive. Forgave. He forgave. He did. Jesus had a lot to say about forgiveness. There's whole chapters in the Gospels about forgiveness. About the importance of forgiveness. And then not only just forgiveness, reconciliation. And that's as we we learn that we may be easily offended. The key then for us as a people is to forgive and reconcile with each other. Matthew 5 and 6, you know, the the Beatitudes in in some places. Jesus, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. And for a long time, I, there was a, I, I was like, I'm a peacekeeper. And what, is, what does a peacekeeper do? Everything's fine. There's no confrontation. I don't like conflict. I don't like, just let's just keep the peace. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Peacemakers. How do you make peace? You actually have to get everything out on the table and say, now what are we going to do with this? So blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. And that's Matthew 5, 9. The one who approaches, his God, approaches, approaches God's altar must be first reconciled with the others. Jesus is saying, you come up to give a tithe or to give an offering in the temple and you've got issue with your brother, don't drop it. Go fix it. Let go of bitterness, Hebrews twelve fifteen. Let no bitterness rise up within you. If we're finding ourselves that we have bitterness rising up, then we've, there's something there and we've got to let that go. And it's usually we have to forgive somebody. We have to forgive. In a church, it's forgive whomever. There's so many different scenarios. They all just kind of went through my mind at the same time. And I'm like, pick one. No, no, I'm not even going to pick one. You all know where I'm talking about. The urge to retaliate is to be resisted. God is our avenger. Matthew five thirty-eight and 42. How many of us get offended and we get, we get attacked and we, our, our, our number first urge is to go blah, back? Depending on your character, yeah, Dan, I know, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's you. <clears throat> I do too. We were, moving, we were moving Ryan and Judy yesterday and a nurse is in the hallway and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean, what am I doing? I said, we're moving in. <laughs> and she's like... Um, well, what sweet are you? I'm like, I don't know. And I'm like, <laughs> and all of a sudden I found myself getting a defensive. And I was like, why? Like, this is, I'm just here helping. This is, I have no ownership in this. And, and Roger's there and he puts his hand on my shoulder. And I'm like, oh, <clears throat> and I'm like three Oh, and Roger's like three Oh six. And she goes, well, what's the name? I said, get us. <laughs> And she's like, well, I don't know, no, get us. And I'm like, just like, I'm just like you were going to go off on her. I'm like, I was. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
So it's, you know, sometimes those things are in your heart. Because that's just like, I mean, don't, don't, don't come across. You have no right to come across me or cross me like that. But it was a self thing, right? It was like, anyway. So we're to love and to pray for our enemies, as Jesus said. You love, you pray, you, you, you bless them. We're always to forgive others of our sins so that our sins can be forgiven. And remember what we've said, we've laid down what, what the definition of sin is, anything that wars against love. Sin is anything that wars against love. And so if, we can't, if in our offense, if we cannot release our brothers and our sisters, that is actually an offense. Because we're, then we're holding them captive just as much as we are captive. And that's that trap, right? It's that scandalizo. It's that we, we triggered it and all of a sudden both of us are trapped. Well, I've forgiven them, but I don't trust them. That's another message. So then how do we do this? Jesus was clear in Matthew 18, steps that we've taken, that we take to deal with offense. If I'm offended with Andrew, I go to him and I'll say, hey, like, is there something going on between us? And if Andrew says, no, we're all good, and the, and the, and the breakdown continues to happen, then I have to, you know, call out the big guns and Deanna and I go to talk to Andrew. <laughs> and it's like, no, I'm good. Everything's fine. You guys are idiots. And at that point... The whole family. We have a family. We're like, and Zach and Maddie comes in, and then Maddie lays a smack down, and and Zach just he just he like I'm fine. The, and, Ma- and Deanna and I are just weeping because we just want relationship. But that's I mean I, I I I kid, but but that's really how it should look, and that's what Jesus did. He says, go to the go to your brother or your sister who's offended you and talk it out. And if they're not going to receive you, then take somebody with you. It's all, it's laid out. Laid out. <clears throat> and one thing that we don't understand is that in, in the Bible, in Matthew there, Matthew 18, when it says, take in the presence of two or three witnesses, that was actually their court system. It wasn't just gather some local, you know, guys, come here, I have an offense yeah, you, you need to witness this. Blah, right? It wasn't that. It was actually their court system. It was a court system laid out, and, and they presented their cases and stuff, and these jurors would say, okay, we're watching this. And then the judge would make his, his, his judgment. And it was based out of Old Testament um, um, courts of law. So that's like Deuteronomy nineteen fifteen, as if you're taking note. <clears throat> So in forgiveness, in walking out forgiveness, in confronting, I want to talk briefly on the fruit of this, and it's binding and loosing. How many of us have looked at Matthew, where is it, Matthew, I don't have that. Shoot, I forgot to write down the scripture. But Jesus talks about binding and loosing. And we've looked at this scripture, and, and we've taken it as a spiritual warfare scripture. You know, Satan, I'm going to bind you, and I'm going to loose the Holy Spirit. And we take this out of context. It is not a spiritual warfare scripture. It's actually a scripture on forgiveness. It's tied into forgiveness. 
And if we, we bind, um, sorry, we, <clears throat> I lost my train of thought, and it was good. Matthew, it's in Matthew 18. So binding and loosing here has to do with, I'm just going to go back to my notes. When in favor, when in, when, in, when in doubt, go to your notes. Binding and loosing here has to do with the process of forgiveness and not spiritual warfare. I said that. What does it mean to bind and loose? It is literally declaring forgiveness or guilt as God's representative. And so if we can forgive people, our job is actually not to proclaim guilt over somebody. It's actually to say you're forgiven. If we can't forgive, actually, then we are bound. And we're bound in that sin. We're bound in that breakdown of, of, of warring against love. We're, we're, we're bound. And so only God, you know, we know that only God can forgive the sins. But he's, excuse me, put us into a place where we can actually release that person from that judgment. And so when we say, I forgive you, what we're doing is we're saying, I release you from the judgment that, <clears throat> that I have every right to proclaim on you. You hurt me. You, you offended me. You, you did this to me. And I do. I have every right in the courts to say that is wrong and you need to be judged. But what we're doing by saying forgiveness and walking in forgiveness for whatever offense that we're carrying is we're saying, I'm releasing you from that judgment and I'm allowing the Holy Spirit now to actually work on your life. <clears throat> and so when you come back to me and you say, um, like for um, Chris Vallotton talks about this, a, a great story is when he was younger and his kids were younger, he, he went off on Kathy and he was just a jerk. And, and Jason was standing there watching. And, and Chris realized that he was being a jerk. And he, he went to Kathy and he said, you know, I treated you with disrespect. I should not have gone off on you. I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me? And Kathy, of course, says, yes, I forgive you. And then he calls Jason and the other kids that, that, um, that observed this. And they said, guys, I was a jerk to your mother. That is not how a man treats his wife. That is not how a man would, you know, even treat his, his, his mother um, or daughter treats his mother. That's just, that is not the standard. Would you please forgive me for, for doing that? And they said yes. So a few weeks later, um, <clears throat> Chris overhears Jason talking to, to Kathy, and he's giving her some lip. And he goes, hey, you do not have a right to speak to my wife that way. You do not have a right to speak to your mother that way. And Jason gets all up and he's like, well, you did that to mom. And he goes, no, I did do that. But you forgave me and your mother forgave me. And that reset the expectation and what is allowed. And so that's what forgiveness does. It, doesn't, it, just, it, takes the, it takes the guilt, it takes the shame, it resets our own hearts that we can actually walk in forgiveness and walk in rightness. It's for righteousness comes in. We walk in righteousness because of forgiveness. All right. I'm just going to scroll. You guys look about done. Hmm. I've got a lot here. I'm going to do a third sermon. Seriously. Wow. 
Okay, Merry Christmas. Goodbye. <laughs> All right, no, seriously, I'm gonna, I, I think I will. I think I will do a third because it's already noon. Because <clears throat> I think there's lots. Like, I, I really want to catch this. I want us to catch this as a people. Um, as I've been studying this myself, I'm seeing. Wow, I, I, I need to release. I need to walk in forgiveness more. And not that I have offense with anybody here. It's just, it's just issues that come up, right? And it's like if we can, if we can ga- grasp what it means to live an unoffended life, man, there is going to be there is our own personal lives are going to be enriched. Our relationships are going to be strengthened. Our family is going to be strengthened. And and I'm going to read. I'm going to close with this, if I can find this. So I'm going to close with this seriously. This is Philippians 2. Look how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one. You are filled with overflowing. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. So I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose and that you would fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free of from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but be, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important as yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness, possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests, and consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, had set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. So I'm close with that saying in order for us to have unity, we have to walk in un- unoffendedness. Does that make sense? So let's stand. Thanks for listening to our Sermon of the Week. Our desire is that you will be changed by the love of the Father and the power of his presence. For more information about House of Hope, visit us at www.ihope.today.